From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you receiving this transmission on one of our affiliate stations, and hello to all of you catching the podcast on TalkZone.com, the YouTube channel, of course, uh, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe. And finally, those of you who take The Conspiracy Show with you on your mobile device with the Conspiracy Show app. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. A couple of weeks ago, we lost rock historian, best-selling author, and a truly remarkable human being, R. Gary Patterson. Gary appeared with me on various radio programs, uh, both here on Zoomer Radio and other radio stations, uh, numerous times. He was a, a fan favorite on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie and Ian Punnett. He appeared on Coast with me as well. Gary died suddenly in his home near Knoxville uh, back on Friday, May the 26th. He and I uh, were working on a radio project at the time called Spirit of Rock Radio. And we were very close to launching that show on a station in Knoxville when Gary died suddenly. Uh, you can check out that uh, show website and, and listen to the pilot episode we produced at spiritofrockradio.com, spiritofrockradio.com. And I, I plan on pushing ahead with that project, uh, although it certainly won't be the same without Gary, but I know he would want me to see that project through. Again, it's spiritofrockradio.com. Tonight, this morning, I thought it would be fitting to jump into the time machine and go back a little ways uh, to February 2016 and replay a show marking the anniversary of the day the music died, Feb 3rd, 1959, of course, the plane crash that took the lives of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. Here now is R. Gary Patterson, along with Peggy Sue Guerin, dear friend of Buddy Holly, and the inspiration for Buddy Holly classics Peggy Sue and Peggy Sue Got Married. Here's how that show sounded. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Three young singers who soared to the heights of show business and the current rock and roll craze were killed today in the crash of a light plane in an Iowa snow flurry. The singers were identified as Richie Valen, 17, Buddy Holly, 22, and J.P. Richardson, known professionally as the Big Bopper. The aircraft chartered from the Choir Flying Service crashed near Mason City, ironically the setting for the prominent musical... All right, as I say, hard to believe, uh, almost six decades since the plane crash near Clear Lake, Iowa, uh, that took the lives of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, J.P. Richardson, the uh, Big Bopper, of course, and the pilot, Roger Peterson. They were on their way to... The next stop in their winter dance party, which was in Minnesota, didn't make it, obviously. And that's where we're going to uh, delve into over the next 45 minutes or so. Our Gary Patterson, a good friend of the program and mine, a native Tennessean with a passion for rock and roll. Gary researches, chronicles some of the most enduring Mysteries of Rock. He's the author of The Walrus Was Paul, Hellhounds on Their Trail, Tales from the Rock and Roll Graveyard, and Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. Gary Patterson, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you, Richard? Very well. How are things down in Knoxville? <laughs> well, it's strange weather. It was snowing last week and in the 60s today, so I like a variety. Now, I... 
I, I'm not telling tales out of school. I think you're a little bit older than me. Uh, do you remember Buddy Holly growing up, or were you too young? I was actually just a little too young. But I remember going to a record store, and I was looking through albums, and I saw this guy with these really black glasses on. I kept saying, well, this guy doesn't look rock and roll, you know? But I had no idea the songs he had written. Of course, you know, the day the music died, I was in elementary school. And I was just listening to what was on AM radio, and if it was Buddy Holly, I had no idea who it was. But a lot of people who were around back then have, you know, just incredible memories of exactly what they were doing that day and the sense of loss they felt. I remember I was doing uh, Coast to Coast one night, and I had a caller who called me and told me that he was in Florida, and the day that he heard about the plane crash that morning, that when he came to school... He put the American flag on upside down, which is a sign of distress. Right, right. And he said that everybody was calling to school because they thought the principal had died. And, uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, it was just the impact on him. You yes. Know, and he was just in his teens. So it had a major impact, not only in the United States, around the world. And uh, his music is eternal. I mean, people are going through the influences of Buddy Holly, where there was the Beatles, which was the very first song they recorded. They borrowed a friend's uh, cassette recorder and recorded That'll Be the Day. So everybody was into Buddy Holly that came out in the 60s, and it was old enough to hold an electric guitar and, and get in a band with three or four other members and and uh, create dreams and, and visions for a future. Well, I, I was I was not born yet when he died, uh, five years before I, I was even born. But when I listened to Buddy Holly, not to take anything away from the pioneers, the Chuck sure. Berries, the Jerry Lee Lewis's, but for me, Buddy Holly was almost in the, the same way the Beatles were when they released Revolver, almost like a different planet. His arrangements... I mean, 1957, 58, the arrangements, the strings, all of this, it was just out of this world. <laughs> it was. And he arranged this music for a three-piece band. Well, actually, if Nicky Sullivan, it would have been four-piece, you know, who was... Right, the, the rhythm guitar, guitarist, but, yeah. But eventually, you know, it was the production yes. that Buddy Holly was able to pull off. And the catchy lyrics. And, uh, you know, it was it was just great music. And it took rock and roll to another level. Everybody else you mentioned, if it was Little Richard, it was the piano, and uh, you know his vocals, and but you had the same sort of R and B yes uh, production. But Buddy Holly was revolutionary; he was different. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to get you to introduce our, our Mr. Guest here in just a moment. Okay. Uh, but let me let's just take a quick step back and 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 talk about that ill-fated uh, winter dance party tour, which just was kind of a mess from the get-go, wasn't it? Actually, it was. I mean, the buses, they were on school buses. They had no heat. The temperature was down to as low as 40 below zero. The guys on the bus were burning newspapers in the aisle to keep warm, and then they had to roll the windows down to get the smoke out and let the cold back in. And They would do 100 miles in one direction, do the show, then they'd have to go back the exact same direction and do another show. So it wasn't put together very well at all. And they were sitting on the school bus, traveling. Buddy Holly wanted to have his <clears throat> have his clothes laundered and to, to sleep in a bed for one night. The big bopper was sick. And uh, nobody knows why Richie Valens flipped that coin, because he had a, a terrible fear of flying. But yet he did. And uh, the day the music died, ever since Don McLean's song is, 
has told a story about February making me shiver and uh, bad news on the doorstep. So the, the lyrics is basically a history of rock and roll, and I think a lot of it has to do with how in the early days of rock and roll, you just wanted to dance. And, uh, you know, the songs were just catchy and fun, and then it became very political, and then you went through the dark period. But Buddy Holly was, you know, always a figure of, of happiness and his songs. I mean, he had some tearjerkers, but, I mean, he had some, you know, just the production of his songs and the way he played, the arrangement, and how he influenced everybody that came after him. I mean, that's a legend. And I guess Danny and the Juniors are right. Rock and roll will never die because it did survive for over 59 years, didn't it? Uh, uh, quick, quick question before we get to the guest. And that is, I've never understood this. Here was a, a Buddy Holly, a man, I mean, he had toured. He had toured in Australia. Uh, you know, huge at the top of his game in 1959. Why was he riding these, you know, buses with no heat doing this disastrous tour? Well, you know, our next guest is going to really have the definitive answer on that. But, I mean, there's there's stories about uh, he was in a lawsuit involving his publishing, so he really wasn't making that kind of money and that he needed to, to go out on the road, and that was the only tour available. And if that was the case, then it was really, really sad. But I know that there were some legal issues that forced him out, and uh, I'm sure he he did not want to be on that bus, but, you know, he was going to stick it out. And uh, sadly, you know, just the whole idea of getting a plane on that night and, you know, but there's so many things that are basically not correct about the day the plane crashed. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we're still learning. So, I mean, the story's going to live forever. And uh, our next guest will have a lot to bring up about all this because I think your audience is going to enjoy it. Okay, well, we're going to we're coming up on a break here. So we're going to introduce her right after the break. Uh, there's her first clue. I've said she is going to come right on after the break. But before we get to the break, um, Gary, I just want to give people a little sense of where else we're going with this discussion uh, tonight regarding uh, a Buddy Holly, because your forte really is delving into a lot of the uh, and unraveling a lot of the, the mysteries and the curses. And one of the, the the amazing, well, not amazing, one of the tragic aspects of this of this um, the story is the. I don't know if you call it a curse, the Buddy Holly curse, but the, the figures that were attached in some way or associated with Buddy Holly that also um, met an early demise. Uh, just give us a, a kind of a, a sense of that as we head into the break here. Well, if you take a look at it, there's so many names that were touched by it. Like, for instance, uh, Joe Meek, who was uh, one of the greatest English producers, had predicted that uh, through a tarot card reading that Buddy Holly would die on February 3rd. You had Ronnie Smith, who took Buddy's place on the Winter Dance Party Tour, that as soon as the tour is over, he checks himself into a sanitarium and he hangs himself. David Box became the singer in the Crickets and did the song Piggy Sue Got Married. It was released, and uh, he left the band, was killed in a plane crash, just about the same age as Buddy Holly. Bobby Fuller, who wrote I Fought the Law and the Law One, he didn't write it. He recorded it. It was written by Sonny Curtis. But he died in mysterious cases, and he was supposed to be the new Buddy Holly. And then, I guess as we look further, you have Keith Moon from The Who, who died on Buddy Holly's birthday. And the night before, he attended the opening of the uh, Buddy Holly story in London. And then you had Mark Bolin from uh, T-Rex, who, when he had his car accident, they found a badge that he was wearing that said, Every day is a holiday. 
And then you would have Tupac Shakur, who was shot on Buddy Holly's birthday. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, That's enough to fill a show. (laughs) All right, Gary. Uh, We will take a time out, and we'll come back with our special guest as we talk about the day the music died. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. If you knew Peggy Sue, then you know why I feel blue without Peggy. Not the Peggy Sue. Oh, well, I love you, Kelly. I love you, Peggy Sue. All right, well, there's another audio clue as to the uh, identity of our guest. Gary Patterson is with us. Rock and roll investigator, uh, the author of The Walrus Was Paul, uh, uh, Tales from the Rock and Roll, or sorry, Hellhounds on Their Trail, Tales from the Rock and Roll Graveyard, and um, uh, many others. We'll, um, we'll get Gary now to introduce our special guest. Well, Richard, it's a great honor for me to introduce to your audience the very first goddess of rock and roll when guys stopped writing about their cars like Maybelline and wrote about special girls in their life. And the song you just heard, Peggy Sue, uh, has probably been recorded so many times by so many different artists and actually still sounds as fresh today as it did when Buddy Holly recorded it. So let's bring on Miss Peggy Sue Guerin from Lubbock, Texas. Ah, Peggy Sue, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, well, thank you so much, Richard. I'm so thrilled to be on here with you and Gary. I just can't even tell you. (laughs) Well, we are delighted to have you. Uh, Wow, almost 60 years, 57 years. Um, Mm -hmm. How does it feel? I I mean, time must have flown by, I'm guessing. Well, it has. It always feels like yesterday. Uh, Something you you never, ever forget. You know, when you have somebody that you love and... And they're a close friend, and you're involved in a project. And we thought rock and roll was the most important thing there was in life. And as it turned out, it was, you know. Mm. So it's always it's always fresh. Take us back to those heady days in Lubbock, Texas. You met uh, Jerry Allison, who was the drummer, mm-hmm. uh, would become the drummer with the Crickets at Lubbock High, where where Jerry and you and Buddy all attended. Um, tell me how you and Jerry met, and then how you and Buddy met. Well, I met Jerry, actually, when I was uh, in the seventh grade, so he played drums in the junior high band, and so when I got into high school, he, of course, was in the senior band, and so did I, so was I, I played it, uh, first year alto saxophone, uh, and I met Buddy when I was 15 in high school, and he had graduated the year before me coming into high school, so as I was leaving high school to go out to the band room, uh, he was coming in and he knocked me down, and so that's kind of how our first meeting occurred. <laughs> just but, like in the movies, uh, just like in the movies. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And what was he like as a young man? Well, I mean, he was—he um, he was, he, he died a young man, but I mean, how, what, what, what was he like then? He was a neat guy. He—you um, y- would have—he never bragged. You—you you never knew that he was—that he had going what he had going and. He was always so common. I mean, he it, he was so interested in other people and what they're doing. It didn't matter what you did on his recording sessions. He always had time to thank you for, I mean, it didn't matter if you clapped your hands on the session, you know. It was like, thank you so much for playing on my section. 
So he was just very humble, uh, very nice, uh, very low-key. Uh, he did have a temper. He could have a temper. But uh, most of the time it just, you know, it didn't show. But he was just a nice guy. And uh, how soon uh, after high school uh, was it apparent that, that uh, Buddy Holly and the Crickets were destined for greatness? Well, uh, 1957, that would be the day was a hit. And they had written a song after the movie The Searchers uh, with John Wayne saying that'll be the day. And Buddy said, well, we wrote it in an hour and 15 minutes. And uh, they recorded it. And, of course, it was a huge hit. But uh, that'll be the day. And then, then the hits came, you know, started to follow after that. So and, that and- was 50, 57, 58, 59. Yeah, and Gary, I'll get you to jump in at any time. Of course, oh, I'm, hey, I'm enjoying the story. But uh, uh, when oh. and when did you and Jerry uh, f- uh, fall in love and 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 marry? Um, my senior year in high school, I was going to a girls' Catholic school in Sacramento, and he had his mother call my mother in Lubbock, Texas, and see if if I could if I could come to the rock show in the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium. And uh, my mother said, well, yeah, I think she can attend. That's okay. And uh, my sister, I was living with my sister and brother-in-law who were stationed in Sacramento in the United States Air Force. And so we invited Jerry Allison. We also invited Buddy to stay. But uh, like Buddy said, well, we can get another drummer, but we can't get another Buddy Holly to stand in for my place. So Jerry Allison spent the weekend, and we took him back to the tour to join the tour that weekend, so um, that was that was kind of the 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 new uh, uh, relationship we had started. We didn't have a very good one in my when I was in high school, but it was kind of up and down and what have you. But he had changed a lot, and so had I. So that's kind of where the relationship started. And uh, I mean, I wish we had three hours. Uh, uh, to talk <laughs> of Peggy Sue, so we—I mean—we have to sort of jump ahead, and, and it does it really a disservice okay. uh, to the story. But mm-hmm. um, right. w- w- what led to uh, Jerry uh, and Buddy, you know, parting ways, sort of professionally? Well, uh, they went on. A, we we got married. Jerry Allison and I got married July twenty second, uh, nineteen fifty eight, and. Buddy and Maria Elena got married in August 14th, right after that. We honeymooned in Acapulco, and they came back and went on the road. Um, I kind of feel you on some personal details, but I didn't go on that that uh, tour because our new Impala was broken. And Buddy said, that's all right. You can ride with Maria Elena and I. And I said, no, 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 no. That's okay. I'll meet all of you in New York. You just go ahead and do the tour. By the time the tour was over, everybody was angry at everybody. It was like the worst situation I have ever walked into. I flew into New York to meet all of them, and uh, it was really very difficult. So Jerry had been doing his thing. By that I mean um, he was drinking and making new relationships or friendships, shall I say. Ah, very delicately And Buddy was extremely upset over it. And Buddy was also very unhappy in his own marriage. So by the time I got to New York, just 
to meet up with everybody, everybody was at odds with each other. But your friendship with Buddy um, remained even after the uh, the, the, the uh, sort of the dissolution of the of the crickets. As oh, a- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we we would have uh, Buddy had already got the uh, architect to drop the plans for the recording studio here in Lubbock and the house that his mom and dad were going to live in, which was a gift to his mother and daddy on his birthday. And uh, we would have, you know, he would have had the recording studio here and produced records. Decca had already offered to put up the financing, and uh, w- you know, it would have been business as usual the next day. But we just didn't get that far. Uh, again, I, you know, I invite you, Gary, to jump in any time if you want to add anything or, or ask a, a Peggy Sue a question. Uh, well, you know, maybe. Yeah, go ahead. What we ought to do is go back to uh, the song because. There seems to be a lot of information that that hints at the idea the song was never really entitled Peggy Sue at first. It was called Cindy Lou. So what do you think about that, Peggy? I think that's awful, Gary, that you'd even bring it up. (laughs) Why did I invite him? Why did I invite him? I know. I just, you hear it, you know, and my answer is this, because if it was written about Buddy Holly's niece, and I, you know, I sort of know where the information came from, why did Buddy Holly write two songs about you? Because well, the second song was Piggy Sue Got Married. Right. Well, th- when I wrote my book, Whatever Happened to Piggy Sue, which is new, I have a new book out there on Amazon.com, uh, Richard, thank you. And uh, when I wrote the book, I went back to the Norman Petty studio and to the vault, and I said, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth is the head of the Norman Petty estate. Kenneth Broad is. And I said, okay, if, if there's a song here named Cindy Lou, I want to find it. Because Buddy never wrote a song that he didn't write the chords down or the, or the lyrics down. And we, and there was, or, or recorded it. And we could find nothing. There was no Cindy Lou whatsoever. None. Zip, zero, nada, nothing. So I just went from that and I went, there was no Cindy Lou. Well, that came out in an interview on, uh, the Buddy Holly story with John Gullrosen, uh, many years back, and I, I just kind of thought, well, okay, that was sour grapes coming from Jerry Allison, but uh, we could find nothing, nothing that had to do with Cindy Lou. But, 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 but he did write Peggy Sue Got Married, and he wrote his parents a letter, and he said, now don't tell her, because this is a surprise, and I want her to be surprised. Well, he wasn't talking about Maria Elena, because Maria Elena was there with him. So he was talking about me, you know, and it was a total surprise and shock when I heard it. Of course, unfortunately, I heard it after he had died. But. Mm. How, how, do you know how his how uh, Buddy's wife Maria responded or how she reacted when he wrote this song? I mean, was there any sort of jealousy there between the two of you? Well, there was a lot of, uh, <laughs> well, let's see, a lot of very cold feelings between the two of us. She was um, nine years older than I, and so there just was not a lot of communication between her and I. So she, how much older than Buddy was she? Five. She was five years older than Buddy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and she was she was nine years older than I. Do you remember the, the first time you heard that song played on the radio? Uh, Peggy Sue Got Married. Uh, or Peggy Sue. Oh, yes. The first time I ever heard Peggy Sue was at the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium when Buddy performed it. 
And then after that, I heard it on the radio. But I, the first time I ever heard it was on stage with him performing it. How did that feel? It was wonderful. I mean, they were doing what they wanted to do, and they wanted to entertain. And they were so happy at what they were doing, and especially Buddy. And, I mean, how does that, when you're walking around and, and people are, other people are listening to that song and maybe they don't know you, I mean, are you, are you bursting inside wanting to tell, that's, that's, they're, they're singing about me. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> you're a better person than I am. I mean, I would be, I'd be telling everybody I know. <laughs> no, I don't do that anymore. It's like they, I go, really, you like Peggy Sue? Well, that's great, yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing I did do, uh, Jerry and I went to, uh, uh, Baden and Baden, Germany in November. Yes, we And did. I got to meet John Wayne's granddaughter. <laughs> and of course, that's where the idea of That'll Be the Day came from. Right, right. And so I said, I, I just have to thank you, even though you're not your grandfather, but thank you so much for That'll Be the Day. And she just died laughing. <laughs> Interesting, uh, you know, source of inspiration for a song, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A line from a mm-hmm. movie like that. It is. We are coming up on another break, but we'll get this conversation started here, and then we'll continue after. But um, uh, in the uh, the days or weeks uh, leading up to the uh, the plane crash, you had uh, some ominous dreams. Can yes, you, I did. Can you share those with us? Oh yes, I can. Yeah, well, let's start I, now, uh, and then we'll continue after as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, no, go ahead now. And then uh, we have a couple okay. minutes, and then, yeah, then when we break, and then we'll... I, I think it was October. I had a dream where this small plane went up in the air, and I had, I saw, there were, I thought it was Buddy, Jerry, and Joe B on the airplane with the pilot. But um, I saw the plane go up, and then I saw it circle around the airport, and I saw it come straight down. And so I was just frantic. It was one of those nightmare things you have. And uh, so the next day I said, you can't, I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to get a small plane. I don't want you to rent one. I don't want you to lease one. And I told Betty the same thing. And he said, now, listen, I'm safer up in the air than I am on the ground because there's more accidents on the ground than there is up in the air. And I said, no, you don't understand. This plane came down. So I had this dream three times. And... um the second time I had it, I told him again. He said, no, quit worrying about it. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And I really thought it was Jerry and Joe B in the airplane with him. Of course, as it turned out, it was not. But uh, it, it was really strange. And the third time I had the dream, I knew. I knew that we were that we were going to have a plane crash somewhere. And, uh, and uh, oddly enough, Richard, on February 2nd, we were on our way. Jerry Allison had broken away from Buddy Holly, uh, unfortunately for Jerry Allison, but we were on our way back to Lubbock, Texas to stay with his parents, and we're driving back to Lubbock on this two-lane road, and here is this truck that's parked up on the left side of the lane. We're going on the right side of the lane, and all of a sudden, this body, like, hit the trunk, the hood of our car, <coughs> and... Uh, Jerry slowed down, and we turned around, and it was a truck driver. I mean, he had jumped in front of the car and just came down on on the hood of the car. So we got the police, and we got the ambulance, and we took him to the hospital, and we gave 
we we gave the report to the police of what had happened, and we went on to love it. And it was late when we got in. And when we when we got there, we stayed with Mr. and Miss Allison because it was late. Sonny Curtis was also with us, and it's like this body had just dropped from the air. And um, oh my! I, I yeah oh yeah, and this was February February second, going toward the third, and uh, so. The, the phone was ringing the next morning, and, and Sonny Curtis came in and woke Jerry Allison up, and he said, you, you need to answer the phone because they're saying the crickets are dead. So um, Jerry got up and started answering answer the phone, and I sat at the kitchen table and drank coffee and read all the papers that came in, the newspapers that came in. And um, I, I just I couldn't believe that all of this was happening at the same time. It, it was just like it was like the dreams, and the plane went down, and then all of a sudden we had this body dropping down on the hood of the car, and we ended up in a lawsuit. We won, but uh, it was just it it was all very, very funny, very strange. Very strange indeed. All right, we'll uh, take a time out. Whatever happened to Peggy Sue? Well, she's right here on the program, The Conspiracy Show. Peggy Sue Guerin, along with good friend R. Gary Patterson. We'll be back with more in a moment. Oh, hell, the little things you say and do Make me want to be with you to do Rain on its crazy feeling And I know it's got me reeling When you say I love you Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Maybe, baby, I'll have you. Maybe, baby, you'll be true. Maybe, baby, I'll have you for me. I mean, listen to that sound. That's at least 10 years ahead of its time, at least. Wouldn't you say, Gary? Oh, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, Peggy Sue Guerin is uh, with us as well, uh, along with our Gary Patterson. She's the girl next door and uh, the subject of the immortal Peggy Sue and Peggy Sue Got Married by Buddy Holly. If I can just throw this over to you now, Gary, and go back to that fateful day, February 3rd, and talk to me about sort of the, the seating arrangements and who decided, how it was decided, who would go on the plane and who would stay on the bus and so forth. Basically what happened was that they'd been on the road and Buddy Holly wanted to get his clothes laundered and he wanted to sleep in a warm bed and not a school bus with no heat with 40 below temperatures. So he chartered the plane. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Peggy Sue can talk about this as well. But I know that the Big Bopper had the flu, and he talked to Waylon Jennings about if he could have Waylon's seat on the plane because it was Buddy and and the band, which in that case would have been Waylon Jennings and uh, Tommy Alsop because Carl Bunch was in, had been hospitalized with frostbite on because, his feet. Because of the tour, right? Because he was That's on that right. bus for much of the tour. On that tour. So... Anyway, I think that Waylon always enjoyed the idea of hanging out with the guys, and the Big Bopper threw in his brand-new sleeping bag that would keep him warm on the bus. So it wasn't hard to talk Waylon into it. And, of course, Waylon Jennings always told a story that when they went to the airport, that as he saw them get in, the Big Bopper got in first behind the pilot, and Richie Valens the next seat in the back, and Buddy in the co-pilot seat. And as 
Buddy was getting on the plane. He turns to Waylon and he says, hey, Waylon, I hope you freeze your butt off in that old school bus. And then Waylon says, yeah, and I hope your old plane crashes. Oh, dear. And he said he never got over that because that was the last thing he ever said to Buddy Holly. Of course. Now, now so if I could jump in, Gary, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Waylon that did the coin toss with Richie Valens? No, no. No. Okay. It was Tommy Alsop. Ah. And this is what's strange because Richie Valens had a terrible fear of flying. And actually, he was convinced that he would die in a plane crash. And he went to his grandfather's funeral. And the day he went to the funeral, two planes collided over the junior high school he attended in California. And the pieces of the plane rained down on the playground. Oh, my. And every day, Richie would bring his guitar and he'd sit under this tree. And he'd play and all the kids would be gathered around him. Well, that day, he wasn't there. And when the plane crashed, it killed his best friend. So this really fueled it even more. So for me to think that Richie Valens would want that seat in a plane, I mean, unless he was the star. I mean, it was supposed to be for the stars, whatever. So Tommy Alsop, he wasn't at the airport. They come back to check on the equipment at the surf ballroom, and he sees Tommy Alsop there, and he says, Hey, Tommy, let me have that seat. And Tommy says, Well, let's flip it. So they flipped a coin, and it was heads. And Richie Valens says, you know, this is the first time I ever won because it was hits. <laughs> and he took the last seat on the plane. And Tommy also, back in Texas, started a bar that he called the Heads Up Saloon because it saved his life. Now, there's another story, and that story is with Dion from Dion and the Belmonts, who says that he was actually offered the seat, but he, he didn't want to spend the money because it would be what he would pay for a month's rent in his apartment in New York. So you have that version, you have the version with Tommy Alsop. It's just, it's just really strange that the Tommy Alsop story has started ever since then and has been going strong and all at once this one comes through. But Peggy Sue may want to give an opinion on that too, on the coin toss. What do you think, Peggy? Well, I have to go with Tommy Alsop. Yeah, I just, I knew him personally and I just know he isn't lying. I mean, you know, he didn't make it up. So. Well, you know, they were both on the tour, but, you know, Tommy was mm-hmm. closer to Buddy in as far as being in the band. Sure. I'm sure they were all good friends. Well, and Tommy Tommy took care of our dance band, and then he graduated up to being a cricket when the crickets left Buddy Holly when they had the separation. So I just have to go with Tommy also on that. There's another story that, Gary, you have shared with me, and that involves Carl Bunch, who was, as you say, recovering from frostbite in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Both of you, either of you, care to share what Carl Bunch experienced that night while in the hospital bed? Well, actually, Peggy Sue and I did an interview on Pop Odyssey with uh, Carl Bunch. It's probably his last interview. As he was talking, you know, he was, you know, he was going to be a dancer like Fred Astaire. So when he went on the road, he was like 17 years old. He was the same age as Richie Valens, and he and Richie were close. So when he was in the hospital early morning on February 3rd, he wakes up, and he told us that he saw Buddy Holly, the big bopper, and Richie Valens standing next to his bed, and they were smiling mm-hmm. at him. And he was staring at them, and they stood there, and he said, then they vanished, just disappeared. And he had heard just a few hours later that they had been killed in a plane crash, but he was convinced till the day he died that they had come back to visit him one final time after the plane crash. And Carl Bunch, wasn't he a psychologist, Peggy Sue? Yes, he was. Yes. So he's not some guy, you know, who was not credible. 
And being a psychologist, he understands, you know, all the theories behind it. But yet, you know, he was very sincere in that. And uh, it was a very powerful moment. I'll know, say. Listen, think. I've got to take a time out. Uh, we will come back. Our Gary Patterson and Peggy Sue Guerin, whatever happened to Peggy Sue, her memoir, now available on Amazon as a trade paperback and available on Kindle. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show. Hold me close and tell me how you feel. Tell me love is real. All right, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett, along with uh, good friend R. Gary Patterson. Uh, and you'll want to check out his website, rgarypatterson.com. And Peggy Sue Guerin. Whatever happened to Peggy Sue, her uh, memoir... Uh, available on Amazon uh, in a trade paperback and also available on Kindle. Uh, Buddy's widow, six months pregnant at the time, uh, she miscarried, I guess, due to the trauma um, and never attended his funeral or ever visited his grave, I'm told. Is that true? Well, that's true, Richard, but she wasn't pregnant. She wasn't. She no. wasn't. She was not. No. She was not pregnant, and she did not attend the funeral. She's never been back to where Buddy has been buried in Lubbock, and uh, so no, no, none of that occurred. How did that story get started, that she was six months pregnant and miscarried? Did she start it? Uh, that came from her camp, you know. Why would uh, she say something like that? Uh, because she was writing a story, Buddy Holly's story, and none of which was true. And Mr. Miss Holly sued over that because the Buddy Holly story with Gary Busey in it. Yes. It was. It just was not accurate. And they sued and they won. So. All right. Um, the Beechcraft Bonanza plane that um, that was chartered mm -hmm. from uh, was it Hubert Dwyer? I think uh, was it Hugh Dwyer, Gary? Jerry Dwyer. Jerry Dwyer. Jerry Dwyer. Uh, where is that? that? That plane is still around somewhere, the wreckage, correct? Well, well it's been, I think it's been confiscated. That's what I think. Mm. Uh, I think somebody came in and took the plane away, and I, I had hoped that this last year they were going to reopen the case, but they didn't do that. But I don't know where the plane is, but I don't think Jerry Dwyer has it. Did Jerry not just pass away as well? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And see, let me just throw in something that about a year, maybe two years ago, and Piggy knows this, I got a phone call from a member of the Dwyer family, and uh, actually his wife. And I talked to her earlier, a few times earlier, and she had called me, and I think what she wanted to do was have me write a book on their version of what happened. And, of course, you know, that version has to do with a, a hole in the back of the pilot seat that supposedly was a bullet hole that it wasn't the pilot's fault. But what they don't, or maybe they do understand, was that there was only one autopsy performed from the plane crash, and that was on the pilot because of regulations. And they didn't find a bullet hole. But when she was talking to me, I just asked her, I said, I've got a question. I said, do you have the plane? And when I said that, it got very, very quiet. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And then she said, we have some of it. We have some of it. Mm -hmm. So what's the mystery here? What do you think? Is someone hiding something? 
Yes. Do you care to elaborate on that, Peggy Sue? Yes, I would like to elaborate on that because uh, I went to Beechcraft and I said, if I can get the airplane, would you help me find out what happened to this airplane? And they said, we'll do that for free. We'll put it in computers. We'll find out exactly what happened to that airplane. But well, there was no airplane. We couldn't find it. And um, Jerry Dwyer was not real helpful in helping us find it. And so whatever happened to the airplane, I think it was confiscated. I think they may have left him a few pieces, but I think it was confiscated after the crash. And, and I think the reason for that is because there were ulterior motives of why, why it crashed, and I'm being polite. Wait a minute. I mean, it was late at night. It was, we're told, poor wintry weather mm-hmm. conditions. But so you no, don't think that's no. no. There was no. There was no snow coming in. There was no. We had no wind. We had no snow coming in when the plane took off. It had been de-iced. It had. Been, it had its annual. And now I learned to. I learned to take off and land in Bonanza, which was the same same thing. It's a little bit newer model than that one, but there was nothing wrong with that airplane when it was pulled out there to take off. Now, maybe it was overloaded. I I will go there. Maybe they had too much stuff on the back of it that they stuck in there, but um, as far as I can tell, there was nothing wrong with the airplane. Well, Gary, J.P. Richardson was a pretty hefty guy. Uh, it is, yes. it, it, it's been suggested, maybe, I probably heard this from you, Gary, I get all my information from you, <laughs> that, that maybe the Big Bopper was trying to change seats mid-flight. Is that possible? There is a, there was a theory that the Big Bopper had been sick, and he was sitting behind the pilot. And someone had made a suggestion that there may have been Buddy and the Big Bopper trying to change seats as the plane was taking off, which would really have thrown it off balance. And that was just mm-hmm. one of the rumors. you got to remember, after this plane crash, we don't know what happened. And, uh, you know, everybody goes out and they do conjecture, well, what if, what if this happened? And the other thing was that when the plane crashed, Buddy's body was found on one side of the fuselage and Richie Valens on the other. And the pilot was still in the plane, but the big bopper had been thrown 40 feet in front of the plane. Which and, never happens. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, if, the, if he was behind the pilot, I mean, the plane really had to break up and throw him out so he would bypass the pilot on the way out. But 40 feet in front over a fence. So, you know, maybe someday we'll get the answer, but... There's a lot of a lot of conjecture to what happened on the day the music died. And matter of fact, Don McLean, who wrote the song, is uh, was charged not too long ago, and uh, I think for domestic violence. So anytime you're coming up to February third, I guess strange things happen, don't they? Uh, we just have a few moments, but but Peggy, uh, I understand that. Um, I don't know. In the in the last several years, relatively recently, you. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I, I seem to recall hearing something about you feeling that, that Buddy has reached out to you. Oh, yeah. I I have constant communication with him. Can you share a little bit of that in the time that remains? Well, I can't. First of all, you know, it's there, there are many things that have gone wrong through his uh, career, and he's very angry about it. And uh, And I don't blame him. I understand that. 
but you have to realize he's 22 and his thinking. So um, I, I, I'm in. Uh, I understand what he is saying. It's just that there's no way to go back and prove what it is he's saying. How does he communicate with you? Um, mentally, mentally. Yeah. And and what is he saying? And in terms of, I mean, does he does he? I mean, what does he claim happened on that plane? Uh, he was on the right side of the pilot. Uh, he had no idea what was wrong with the plane. The uh, Big Bopper and Richie Valens were in the back. I think Richie Valens had a cold, as a matter of fact, just why he took that plane seat. But uh, he knew, I think he knew immediately when it went up, and the RPMs went up on the on the motor, and it wasn't going to come down. That he was in trouble. I think he knew immediately then, and uh, I think he knew he was murdered. Murdered. Uh, well, I call Some, it that. But all right. Someone you fixed, may call it something else. Someone sabotaged the. It. Someone sabotaged the plane. Yes. Hmm. Somebody sabotaged the plane. If somebody came and sabotaged the plane, and somebody knows that. Now, maybe they're dead now, and they are not going to speak from the from the grave. But something happened to that airplane. Any idea why? What, what would the motive be? Does Does Buddy Holly have any idea? Uh, I think that it was the fact that <laughs> I think there were a couple of things that were in play here. I think that the the truly evil side of the world decided that. If they can get rid of rock and roll, it would be okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that I think that the plane went down because they were going to get rid of rock and roll. And I think Buddy Holly was the epitome of rock and roll. Certainly was. Certainly was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peggy Sue, I I want to thank you so much for uh, for spending some time with us. Uh, Well, Richard, I want to tell you that I just love you on Coast to Coast. I'm in America at Lubbock, Texas, but I listen to you every chance I get. (laughs) Oh, that's very kind of you. I was going to ask you about Lubbock. I was I was going to ask you about Lubbock, Texas. Uh, One of my favorite songs is is Mac Davis. Uh, Although Lubbock, Texas, in my rearview mirror. But what was he thinking? Absolutely. (laughs) He wants to get out of Lubbock, Texas. He he and I graduated the same year in 1958. Oh, is that right? (laughs) Yes, we did. It's a great song. And it is. Imagine it's love. What's the population of Lubbock? Uh, it's about two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand, and uh, mm-hmm. Buddy Holly, Mac Davis, and Peggy Sue mm-hmm. Guerin. That's three pretty impressive people to come out of Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, again, let's remind uh, listeners that whatever happened to Peggy Sue, this amazing memoir, uh, now available. On uh, Amazon in uh, in paperback and uh, also available on Kindle. If you're oh, rocking, thank you, Richard. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, our Gary, mm-hmm. uh, always a pleasure having you on, my friend. Always glad and be back again next time. We'll do it again. All right, let's uh, get oh, folks. Oh yeah, ourgarypatterson.com. All right, thank you both. Peggy Sue Guerin and the late great R. Gary Patterson. You will be missed, my friend. We will uh, resume next week uh, with our regular format. Uh, we'll have our, our panelists and uh, lots of great guests. 
as well as open lines, what's in the box. Of course, the uh, the live YouTube stream will continue as well. Uh, in the meantime, my thanks to Ian Robertson behind the glass, as always, for his uh, capable work and uh, willpower, young willpower. Uh, thanks to you as well, Albert Venzel and Ryan White. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.